In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, what I would like to do to start is to have us think back to a a time long, long ago. You're going to have to use your imaginations a little bit because the memories of this might be a little fuzzy to us. I want you to think about when we used to be able to go out to restaurants, right? And not where you'd park your car at the curb and they'd stick the food through the window and you'd have to go home and wipe it down. And, and eat it on the couch, right? But when you'd actually sit at a nice restaurant at the table and someone would bring you your food uh, and you'd enjoy a meal. Can you remember what that used to be like? It feels like forever ago now, doesn't it? Uh, well, think about that. And uh, think with me with you can imagine uh, a time like that, uh, a special occasion, maybe where you even had to save up some money. It was that nice. It was a really big celebration. And uh, you, you've been dreaming about this for maybe some weeks. And when you get to the restaurant, maybe you've you've searched the restaurant online and looked up their menu so you know exactly what you want and how you want it. So that when the server comes, you're ready, right? You're like, I want the steak and I want it medium rare. And I want the the French fries and I want them extra crispy. And and you place your order and then you sit back, you're surrounded by people you love. And and then after a few minutes, you you see the server coming and, and you are just sure that it's with your food and your mouth is watering, the smells are filling the air and, and the plates are being placed around the table and finally, here's your food! And you look down and it's not what you ordered. The, the steak is there, but it's not cooked rare. It's really well done. And, and the fries, well, they're not crispy. They're actually pretty soft still. Or you ordered the fish and here you got the, the veggie platter, right? Your, your order is wrong, either a lot or a little. You've experienced this, right? We all have. And I, I find that there are two kinds of people in these situations. Maybe you're the first kind where you, you get the order. It's not what you wanted. It's not what you're going to pay for. So you send it back, right? You call over the, the waitress or the waiter and you say, I'm, I'm sorry, but I asked for the fries extra crispy. Can you have the chef do this again? Or I asked for a steak rare and it's pretty expensive. Can I get it rare? Or I ordered the fish and I got the veggies, right? You, 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 you send it back. You, you, you call over the, the staff and, and have them fix it. But some of you are like me. <laughs> And when the order comes, it's not what you wanted, and everyone's asking, aren't you going to send it back? Do you want me to call someone over? If you're like me, you you think to yourself, well, maybe maybe I forgot to order the fries extra crispy. Uh, I I kind of mumble sometimes. It's really loud in here. They probably didn't hear, and it's crazy, and I don't want to bother them. I don't want to cause any trouble, so I'll just eat what I've been given, even though it's not what I wanted. I, I settle. And, and, and the truth is, I think we all settle. Uh, we all have certain things we, we're not going to settle over, and then we have things we're willing to settle on. Maybe for you, like me, it's a meal at a restaurant, but, but maybe you've settled in your career. The, the job you're in is not the one you dreamed of as a little boy or a little girl, and, and you're not making the money, certainly, that you dreamed of, but, but you know, it puts food on the table, it keeps your family fed, and, and so you've settled. Uh, or, or maybe it's a relationship you, you're in, one that you know is not good, it's not healthy, but it's all that you know, and it's comfortable at, at this point, so you stay there, you, you settle. Well, the, the truth is that we settle even when it comes to our lives with God. We, we do it all the time. Uh, we settle when, when we live for just the now, when we say things like, you only live once, so we've got to live it up 
Well, we can, right? That's settling. We've lost sight of the eternity that awaits us and the perspective we've been given by, by having a future that goes on and on and, and on. And so we settle when we simply live for the moment. We settle when we shrug our shoulders at the injustices and the wrongs around us. When we say, that's just the way it is, or that's, that's the way I was born, you can't change it now. Or, or when we uh, look at all the hurts around us and we say, this has been going on since the beginning of time. Who am I to fix it? We're settling for a less than perfect world. Uh, there's one more way I'd like to talk about today, how we settle as, as Christians. And, and that has to do with how we view eternity. Uh, I don't know what you picture when you picture an eternity with God, but here's what I think maybe the prevailing general view is of eternity. And that is, uh, many people, most of us, when we think about eternity, we think that when we die, our bodies go in the grave, our spirits rise up uh, to a place called heaven, wherever that is. And then we, we spend our time floating around in a cloud, playing a harp. We grow some wings, maybe become an angel, and we all have our own little twists on it. Maybe you think of heaven as this beautiful, perfect place, and it is, and, and you really love chocolate, so you imagine you're eating a lot of it there. Or you would like to think that in between your harp playing, you get to watch your favorite movie on repeat. But again, the general view is we die, body goes in the grave, spirit goes to heaven, we live as these disembodied members sitting on clouds, doing whatever we're doing. But uh, brothers and sisters, that is settling. Settling for a, a picture of heaven that is less than what God has for you. No, God has something greater for you than just this disembodied existence. No, he has complete and utter restoration and renewal. He has a resurrection for you. Uh, that's what Paul is writing about when he addresses the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 today. See, the Corinthians deny the resurrection of the dead. They don't think that one day we will be raised up. They think it's an impossibility. Now, sometimes we lose sight of that, uh, but it's something we confess in the creed, either the apostles or the Nicene, week after week, right? We say something like, and I look for, I wait for, I'm hoping, I'm counting on, and remember what we say, right? The resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, or life everlasting. Uh, again, the Corinthians denied that. They, they denied that dead people could be raised. And, and Paul hears that, and he doesn't want them to settle for, for that kind of eternity. He knows that there's something greater, that there is a resurrection that awaits them. And so he writes to them today this, this chapter that we read. And, and he has two main points that he makes as he addresses this. And the first point is that if dead people can't be raised, then Jesus wasn't raised, and then our faith is for nothing. Because our faith rests on the resurrection of Jesus. That's what makes him different. Lots of people lived good lives like Jesus. Lots of people died on crosses, but only one came back from the dead that was Jesus. And if dead people can't be raised, then Jesus wasn't raised, and then we're still stuck in our sins. I mean, listen to how Paul puts it, because I think he puts it much better than I do. These two. His point is that, that Jesus' resurrection is just the first, it's just the beginning of a, a, a great and glorious day of resurrection. That's what's waiting for us, and God doesn't want us to settle for anything less. He doesn't want us to settle for a, a hope of a future, of, of just sitting on a cloud, playing on a harp, growing wings, because what we have is better than that. And God wants to redeem and, re and, and renew that which was lost. Uh, way back in the Garden of Eden, right, there was this world that God made where, where people were created with bodies and souls, and they lived together with their creator in harmony in a place called Eden where heaven and earth were, were one. And so much of that was lost. 
But God wants to find it and restore it. So much of that was broken, but God wants to put it back together. We live in a world now, because of sin, since Adam and Eve, of pain and hurt. And God wants to, to heal that and to forgive that. And, and so he, he, he promises us this resurrection where we will be raised up, body and soul, brought back together to live with him, walking with him and talking with him, just like in the garden. Now, maybe this whole talk of the resurrection is new to you, right? Maybe you've heard 1 Corinthians 15, maybe not, or maybe you've heard the Creator not, but maybe you've heard it, you just haven't thought much about what the resurrection means. So I know this is maybe new from some of you, but it's from God's Word. And, and, and one of the first questions people have, and maybe one of the objections they have is, well, what is this resurrected body I'm going to get look like, right? And... and and, and we don't like the idea of that, in part because I think we look at our bodies, they get old and decay, and, and they come with their aches and their pains, right? And we think, I, I want to be done with this body. I like the idea of living as a spirit floating on a cloud, growing some wings. Um, but, but, but Paul actually tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 a little bit more about this. I encourage you, after church today, throughout the week, go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 15. So much gold there about what the resurrected life means for us and what it looks like. Uh, but there's two things I'd like to say about the resurrected bodies we will be given. And, and first, Paul says, is that they will be glorious. Unlike these bodies, uh, they will be amazing and awesome, far greater than we can imagine. And the second thing he says is, is that they will, they will never perish. They are imperishable. That is, they won't decay. They won't get old. They won't come with aches and pains and groans. They won't die. They'll live forever. And, and there's a lot that we don't know about our resurrected bodies. Uh, but what we do know is that Jesus will return. He will raise us up, reunite body and soul, renewing and restoring that which was broken and lost by sin in the garden. That's the future that God has for us. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know if any of you have been watching the documentary on ESPN called The Last Dance. It's a, this documentary, 10-part documentary, that follows around uh, the Chicago Bulls from their championship seasons, uh, particularly focusing on The Last Dance of uh, Michael Jordan and, and their last championship season. And a lot of good stories coming out of that. I think I've mentioned this before, but as a kid in the 90s, I, I love this documentary. I'm eating it up. And, uh, a, a lot that we're, we're learning, but some that we've already known, right? Like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, MJ, he was someone who never settled for anything less than perfection and victory. And he was going to do whatever it took to win, right? He was going to push himself and his teammates to the limits. And lots of stories in the documentary that kind of bring that out. But there's one in particular that stuck out to me. See, early in Michael's career, he was uh, playing against uh, another team in a game. and I can't remember what team it was, but there was a, a player on that team, a young player, who, uh, who had a really great game and really kind of defensively stopped Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan in this game had a bad game. Bulls lose. And uh, as uh, the teams are leaving the floor, heading to the locker room, this player looks at Michael Jordan and says this very innocent-sounding compliment. He says, nice game, Mike. Well, Michael Jordan being Michael Jordan, right? He hears this innocent compliment, and he turns it into a slight, right? Into a criticism, and it just enrages him. So, so the next day, the two teams meet again, and Michael Jordan goes crazy. He scores a ton of points, and, and the Bulls win, and he, and he used, again, that innocent compliment to fuel him. And it really just reminded me that he was going to do whatever it took, uh, even turn a compliment into a criticism. And, 
And the craziest part about it all is that Jesus uh, uh, is that Michael Jordan later admitted that he made all this up. <laughs> that uh, that this player never said "nice game, Mike." Even that compliment was just a part of his imagination that was meant to fuel him towards victory. I mean, there's a lot to criticize there, but. But again, the point is that Michael Jordan was willing to do whatever it took. He would not settle. And I don't mean to compare Michael Jordan to God, not in the least, but, but maybe you see that the comparison I'm, I'm making, right? Then in much the same way, although to a much greater degree, we have a God who is willing to do whatever it took. He, he would live the perfect life, enter into this world in our mess, and, and he would go to the cross and then he would rise after being stuck in a grave so that we would be completely and utterly restored and renewed, so that we would be raised up in a glorious and perishable body to life everlasting. He wasn't going to settle for anything less. And, and, and dear friends, that changes things for us. Having that kind of hope of the resurrection that awaits us, that changes us. It gives us peace for today. That's the first thing it does, because we know the end of the story. We know that which is broken will be restored. We know that which is lost will be found. We, we know our sin will be forgiven and our pains will be healed. We know the end. And so we have peace for today in the, in the middle of this crazy, chaotic, pandemic world we live in, where, where every day is full of change. One thing is for certain. Jesus rose, and so will we. So we have peace for today. But the other thing it does for us, it gives us work to do. This hope we have, it, it pushes us out the door. Uh, listen to how Paul puts it at the end of his chapter on 1 Corinthians 15. You, you might expect Paul to say something like, well, here's what's waiting for you, and it's awesome. You're going to be raised up to life everlasting, restored and renewed. So kick back, relax, put up your feet, twiddle your thumbs, do what you got to do to make it through until that day. But that's not what Paul says. He says at the end, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Somehow, the work that we do today is, is used by God to bring about that restoration and, and that renewal. When we reflect God's mercy and compassion and grace and, and forgiveness, we're, we're bringing that renewal to bear in our lives now. And so our work in Jesus is not empty. It's not in vain. It has purpose and significance. We're not just biding our time until we're raised up. We're working in the Lord to share his love, to share his grace to bring about that restoration here and now. God is working through us, using us. We don't deserve it, but he does anyway. Isn't it amazing to have a God who just won't settle for anything less than perfection, who is willing to do whatever it took to show us grace and mercy and love? Because that's the God you have, dear friends. Don't settle for anything less. In Jesus' name.